A number of years ago, there were two men who were traveling on a train and about 20 minutes into the train ride, one of the men had an epileptic seizure. Now, if you've ever witnessed an epileptic seizure, you know that it can be scary and it can, it can be frightening. The man was at one moment in time sitting in his chair and the next moment he stiffened and, and fell directly on the floor convulsing. His friend immediately took off his coat. He wrapped it up into a ball. He put it beneath his friend's head. He began to wipe away the sweat, the perspiration from his friend's brow. He started to rub his friend's arm gently and speak soothing words of comfort over him. When the seizure concluded, the friend gently lifted up his friend and placed him in the seat. He then turned to the man who was sitting across from them in the train and apologized and he said, I'm sorry, sir, this happens to us about two or three times every day. And the conversation continued. And this is what's recorded about this conversation. I'd like you to pay close attention. My buddy and I were in the Vietnam War together and we were both wounded in the same battle. I had bullets in both legs and he caught one in his shoulder. For some reason, the helicopter that was supposed to come and take us out never came to pick us up. My friend here picked me up and he carried me for three and a half days out of that jungle. The Viet Cong were sniping at us the whole way. Please understand that he was in more agony than I was. Repeatedly, I begged him to drop me and save himself but he wouldn't let me go. He got me out of that jungle. He saved my life. I don't know how he did it and I don't know why he did it, but he did. Well, four years ago, I found out that he had this epileptic condition. So I sold my house, took what money I had and moved here to take care of him. Then he looked at his friend and he said, you see, sir, after what he did for me, there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for him. When we hear this story, we can certainly understand the man's response. His response to his friend's demonstration of sacrificial love. It's a natural response we have when somebody does something for us, when somebody demonstrates love to us, when somebody sacrifices for us. It's our general response to respond in gratitude. And not only gratitude through words, but gratitude through our actions. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater our desire to respond and reciprocate. If you would, would you take your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter two. We're gonna be continuing our study this morning in the book of Philippians. If you did not bring a Bible with you, there's one in the rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to grab it and turn to page 952. It'll be really helpful if you follow along in a Bible. That way you will know that I'm not making this up as I go along. 
So Philippians chapter two, page 952. Last week, Clarence walked us through the amazing Christ hymn that's found in Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11. And remember what is written there. Think about what's written there. Jesus being in very, look at it with me. Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, becoming a human. He humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then God exalted him. He exalted him to the highest place. He gave Jesus the name that is above every name, the name at which every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's majestic, isn't it? And it's not only majestic, it's a moving statement of identity about Jesus. Think about the truths that are identified in these verses and the scope. It leaves you in awe, in wonder about Jesus. Look at it. Look what Jesus did for you. Look who Jesus became for you. He became a human and he died on a cross for you, for me. Does it make you feel like the soldier in Vietnam? Before you came to know Jesus, you were wounded and dying. I'm not over-exaggerating here. Before you came to know Jesus, you were wounded and dying. And if you have not yet came to believe in Jesus and declared him Lord and Savior, you right now are wounded and dying. And here we get this picture of Jesus coming into the jungle to rescue you, to save you. It's completely amazing. So how do you follow up this amazing Christ hymn? What should be our response? Last week when we went through this, there was a lot of clapping and amening and it was completely appropriate for this passage and not to mention Clarence did a wonderful job explaining it to us. But what's next? What's next for us? What should be our response? Well, just like the grateful veteran in the story, We should do something with our lives in response to Jesus's sacrificial love for us. To love Jesus fully means that we are called to respond and reciprocate. So there are practical implications from this hymn. And this morning, we are going to look at the practical implications from the Christ hymn. So we are gonna be focusing on verses 12 through 18. In fact, notice the link from the hymn to our text this morning. See the beginning of verse 12? Look at the beginning of verse 12 there. Paul writes that word, he writes, therefore. He's looking back at what's just said and he's preparing to make some strong exhortations to you and to me. 
There is much in this passage this morning about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But please notice the pastoral tone of what Paul is writing and what he is saying to us this morning. Look what he writes after the first word. He writes, my dear friends. My dear friends. He loves these Philippians and he loves you and he loves me. And so he instructs us with some strong language to encourage us to live our lives more like Jesus. You know, this is a prayer that I often pray myself. I stand up here sometimes and I say some pretty strong things. And I think to myself, oh boy, if I say that, what are they gonna think? So I pray, and I pray that God would help you understand that I'm trying to speak to you in the same way that Paul is speaking to us here in this letter, because I see you as my dear friends, and I love you. And the call for us as followers of Jesus, as we saw a number of weeks ago, is to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And this morning, Paul is going to continue that instruction. What does it look like to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? So Paul's going to instruct us. He's gonna give us further instruction on how to live. He's gonna reveal to us three ways in which we can express our gratitude to Jesus for his sacrificial love. First, in response to Jesus's love, in response to Jesus rescuing us from the jungle, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Look at beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. In theological terms, this is referred to as our sanctification. This refers to the lifelong obedience of followers of Jesus Christ in the goal of looking more and more like Jesus in our lives. You see, the more you obey Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. Did you hear me? The more you obey Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. Now to be clear here, this is not saying that we can earn our salvation. Paul does not say here, work for your salvation. He says, work out your salvation. And there is a big difference. Paul was originally writing here to the Philippian church. He was writing to people that he has already referred to as saints. These people are already followers of Jesus Christ. Remember back in chapter one, verse six, he wrote that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Paul recognizes that he is writing to people who are following Jesus Christ. 
This is not an instruction for us to earn our salvation. Paul says this in another place. He wants to be very clear that there's no way that we can earn our salvation, that salvation is a gift from God. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. He writes, for it is by grace. Grace is defined as God's unmerited favor. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, not through yourselves. It's a gift from God. Because of God's grace, he gives you the gift of salvation when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you believe that Jesus is Lord, when you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins, God declares you righteous. The theological term that is used to describe that is justification. God declares you righteous because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Jesus earned your salvation. You need to put your faith and trust in him to receive the gift. Now this point cannot be strongly emphasized enough. The number one error, the biggest error that people make when it comes to salvation is people tend to believe that if I'm good enough, if I do enough good things, if the good side of my ledger outweighs the bad side of my ledger, then I will be saved. Then I will experience eternal life with Jesus Christ. You see, the world operates on a merit system. The better you do, the more you earn. Every single other religion Religion also operates on a merit system. When you are good, you are rewarded. That is not the way Jesus works. It is not the way Christianity works. Salvation is a gift from God. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. You receive salvation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and declaring him Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And when you do, God declares you righteous. You are justified. Now this is gonna sound a little tart. It's gonna be a little tough. These are tough words and please understand that they are coming out of love. If you believe if you believe that you are going to heaven because you are a pretty good person, you are not going to heaven. If you believe that you are going to heaven because you are a pretty good person, you are not going to heaven. Salvation is a gift from God. Jesus did the work on the cross. All you have to do is believe. Believe that Jesus died for you, 
to forgive your sins, to wipe that slate clean, to remove your sins as far as the east is from the west, to remember them no longer. And in that belief, you receive life. You receive life now and you receive life eternal. Place your faith in your trust in Jesus Christ. And then once justified, Paul's point in this text is that we need to work it out. Jesus not only saved us from something, he saved us for something in the here and the now. That's sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Jesus. Look at verse 12. Paul mentions the Philippians' obedience. Those truly saved by God, those who truly believe in Jesus, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation want to please God and obey him in all respects. We want to show our love and our gratitude by living our lives for him. We need to be committed to faithful obedience living our lives like Jesus. There's a great quote from Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor and he has written, as many of you know, a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Look what he writes. This is what he writes about this concept, a long obedience in the same direction. Working out your salvation is a long obedience in the same direction. I just... It's just so poetic, isn't it? This idea that I am on this journey, a long journey, obeying Jesus and living my life for him. But like, what does it mean to actually work out your salvation? There's a lot of examples. There's a lot of implications from the instruction to work out our salvation. But I think the most, the primary instruction or the primary encouragement that I would give you is what Clarence shared last week. Live your lives with Jesus as your example. Live your life like Jesus. Be like Jesus in attitude. Be like Jesus in your actions. Working out your salvation means living your life like Jesus. Living with humility. Living pursuing personal holiness. Living pursuing faithful mission, living out the purpose that God has for you. Work out your salvation. Be like Jesus. And then Paul goes on to share the attitude that we should have as we work out our salvation. Look at verse 12 at the end. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like this implies that we should be in awe of God. We should be in awe and stand in reverence before God. We're to recognize that God is God and we are not. We're to recognize on one hand that God is sovereign and he is sufficient in all things. And on the other hand, we're to recognize that in and of ourselves, we're limited. And in many ways, we're completely powerless. So we come to God recognizing that he is God and we are not and we stand in awe and when you stand in awe of God with fear and trembling, you stand in humility before God and it causes you to seek after him and his will. 
because you recognize who God is and who we are. He is God and we are not. Now, when I look at this and I look at this instruction to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it gets a bit overwhelming for me. Now, I don't know about you. You may have it all together and you may be able to do this stuff in your sleep. Me, this gets a bit intimidating. This idea of faithful obedience, this idea of obedience in the same direction, a long obedience in the same direction, it can seem overwhelming because I think to myself, I'm kind of weak, I'm kind of limited. That's why verse 13 is so comforting. Look what it says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So what this is saying is Jesus is right there with us. He's helping us. He's never leaving us. He's never forsaking us. He's encouraging us and he is enabling us to do what he has called us to do. And this message of partnership is all throughout the scripture. Over and over again, we're encouraged that not only are we justified because of what God has done for us, but in our sanctification, Jesus through his spirit is working right along with us in partnership to encourage us and enable us to live like Jesus. Look at these other verses. Look what the psalmist writes. The psalmist writes, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. It identifies that there's a partnership, that God is at work in and through you. Look at this next text. He, this is referring to Jesus, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It's a purpose statement. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul is writing here about the partnership that he has with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Even Paul recognizes that he cannot do it on his own, that he needs the spirit to come and enable and encourage him. Look at this last example. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. This is Paul writing, no, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. You're not alone. As you seek to live your life like Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ enables you and encourages you to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. The first way we demonstrate our gratitude to Jesus for carrying us out of the jungle is we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The second way that we demonstrate this gratitude, now it's also a very specific way to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, no grumbling or arguing. In a very real real way, grumbling and arguing is the opposite of fear and trembling. Look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) Everything without grumbling and arguing. Now I could go in and I could dig into the Greek, the original Greek here and try to explain to you what grumbling and arguing means, but I really don't think that's necessary, is it? Like, you're pretty clear. Grumbling means complaining and arguing means arguing. 
And Paul writes here, do not grumble, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And in this context, it is very clear that grumbling and arguing are not God's best for our lives, which means grumbling and arguing are sins that God is instructing us to avoid because it's not pleasing to God and it's not in our best interests. So God says, no grumbling and no arguing. Now I think to myself, I think to myself, if I would have written this, I think I would have put something different down. I might have said something like, hey, stop sleeping with your boyfriend. Or maybe stop getting high. Stop getting drunk. Stop stealing. Stop lying. Stop watching porn. All those things, bad things, problems. But that's not what Paul identifies here. It's not the primary way he instructs us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. Everything. I don't think I would have put that. You know why I think he does it? Because there's some of us that aren't sleeping with our girlfriends. There's some of us that aren't watching porn. Many of us aren't stealing. Some of us aren't lying. But guess what? You're nodding because you know, right? Every single one of us grumbles and complains. Now you may put on a pretty picture and you may not speak it out loud, but in your heart, we tend to grumble and we tend to argue. And Paul says, do everything, everything. He doesn't just say, hey, get through most of the day without grumbling and arguing. Trust me, I looked for a loophole here. I could not find a loophole. It is do everything without grumbling and without arguing. And do you realize what a difference it would make in our lives? Because we've all just admitted, and I'm admitting for you if you haven't, we've all just admitted that we all grumble and argue. Could you imagine the difference that it would make in our lives if we stopped grumbling and arguing? So if you can't imagine that, I have some questions for you. Check out these questions. Yeah, ain't none of you getting through this list. <laughs> I didn't either, so. What would it change for you in how you respond to your mom or your dad when they ask you to do something? Oh yeah, all the mothers said amen. But then mothers, you better go look at question two. How would it change how you parent your child? Oh, I wish Joey would do that. He never does that. He just never listens to me. Sounds like grumbling to me. How would you parent your child? How would it change the way we interact with school administration and teachers? How would it change our conversation about other churches? How would it change our conversation about our church? How would it change our conversations about our friends? How would it change our discussions about politics? 
What difference would it make in the way you get out of bed every single morning? My friends, you get to choose. You get to choose whether you grumble or argue, whether you live in that type of negativity or whether you choose to be positive and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's no wonder people don't wanna come to church. It's no wonder people don't wanna follow Jesus Christ because if they sit in here, Christians grumble and argue, like I don't wanna be any part of grumbling and arguing. So Paul is very specific here. Stop grumbling and arguing. None of it. No grumbling and arguing. And you know what the interesting thing about grumbling and arguing is? At the core, grumbling and arguing is a lack of trust in God and a lack of humility before God and others. And God calls us to joyful obedience. We've seen it in Paul's life. We saw it last week in the demonstration of Jesus's life. Joyful obedience comes from trusting God and being humble before him and before others. And when you grumble, whether you grumble verbally or whether you grumble in your heart, whether you argue verbally or whether you argue in your heart, what you are declaring by your grumbling in your argument arguing is you know better than God. And remember to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is recognizing that God is God and I am not. And when I grumble, I'm not trusting what God's plan for me is. And when I argue, I'm not trusting what God has for me. And I'm not humble enough to realize that his plan is actually better than my plan. Stop grumbling and stop arguing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then third, the third way to show gratitude to God, it's also the result if we choose not to grumble or argue. Verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul wrote to a warped and crooked generation. What do you think about our generation? A bit warped, a bit crooked. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Do you want to show gratitude to God for saving you? Do you want to show gratitude for God to God for him pulling you out of the jungle? We are to shine like stars in the sky, to be bold, bright, shining examples of God's mercy, of God's grace, and of God's love. Do you know when stars shine their brightest? When do stars shine their brightest? When it's the darkest. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Mozambique. Calvary Church kind of sponsors and partners with a church in a village in the, 
in the village of Shinangani in Mozambique. And it's a long trip to get to Mozambique. It took us more than a day. And when we arrived in the village, it was dark. It was later at night. I want to say it was about 10, 1030 at night. And I got out of the van and I have never experienced darkness like I experienced in that village. We got out of the van and it was dark. Like, I mean dark. It was so dark that I wanted, I was scared. I wanted to get back in the van. But then I looked up. And in this darkness, there were stars in the sky. The brightest stars that I have ever seen. Shining in the sky. Remarkable. I can't do it justice in explaining the experience of seeing the brightness and the boldness and the beauty of all of those stars in the midst of the darkness. God has called you to be a shining star in the midst of the darkness of this world. And I think the problem for many of us is we forget how dark this world is. We forget the plight of some of our friends, some of our families, some of our neighbors, some of our coworkers, some of the people we go to school with. We forget the darkness that they are in. And sometimes we just ignore the darkness. But I want to remind you this morning of that darkness. Look at these verses. Without Jesus, without Jesus, People are prisoners in the domain of darkness. Without Jesus, people are enemies of God and cut off from him. Without Jesus, people are spiritually dead in their transgressions and sins. Without Jesus, they are without real hope in this world. And maybe the most frightening of all, without Jesus, they are headed towards judgment and hell. Are we forgetting the darkness that some of our friends, family, coworkers, fellow students are experiencing? Are we ignoring that darkness? Because God has called you to be a shining star to bring light into that darkness, to bring light into the hearts of those who do not know Jesus. Look what Jesus says about you. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Look what he says. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My friends, you are a light to this world. God has called you, every single one of you who have put your faith in your trust in Jesus Christ, every single one of you who believe in him for salvation, who recognize that he did the work on the cross for you, every single one of you, he has given you purpose. He's called you to be the light in this world, to be a shining star for him. And I've thought about this and there are so many ways that we could talk about this or I could explain it or continue to demonstrate it. But I just wanna give you one little thing as we close. Just attempt to change the conversation in the culture that you're in. Just attempt to change the conversation. And here's what I mean by that. On staff here at Calvary Church, we have a man by the name of Ardo Draper. In the first service, he sits right there in that first seat and he amens with a deep baritone or bass voice all the time. He sings or claps off key. It's very interesting. I said this in the first service and he laughed. So it's okay, I'm not talking behind his back. Ardo has a way of changing the conversation. When you ask Ardo how he is doing, he always has the same response. No matter whether he is on the top of a mountain or whether he is down in the depth of the valley, he always has the same response. And for the last two years, I can represent that Ardo has been near the bottom of the valley. Things have been very hard and difficult for Ardo and his wife, Joyce. They have been through trials, through difficulties, through persecution over these last two years. Enough where I, think, I would think grumbling and arguing would be completely justifiable, but not Ardo. Because Ardo has chosen to change the conversation. He's chosen to shine like a star in the sky. So no matter what Ardo is going through, every single time, every, I have tested him over and over. I'm trying to get him to say something different. Every single time you ask him how he is doing, he says that he is blessed. That's changing the dialogue, my friends. That's changing the conversation. Most of us can always respond blessed when we're on the top of the mountain. But if you wanna shine like a star for Jesus Christ, when you are in the midst of the trial, when you are in the midst of the difficulty, when things are not going the way you intended or planned, when you can respond to the question, how are you doing? And you can say, I am blessed. Do you think people get a bit of an understanding about who Jesus is? Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Don't grumble or argue and shine, shine like a star in the midst of the darkness. This past week, I didn't write a conclusion to this sermon, so I didn't have any idea what I was gonna say uh, before the last service. But it kind of hit me this morning. 
Over the last number of weeks, I have used uh, an illustration or a story about war. It's not lost on me that I've used this as an example, and it wasn't lost on three of the six people who reviewed the sermon this week. They all made comment about it. And I got thinking, there wasn't really any intentionality. It was just a really good story that made the point. But then I realized, war is a great example of the darkness in this world. But at the same time, that darkness presents opportunity to be light. Each one of us have the opportunity to be light in the midst of a dark, dark world. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In everything, no grumbling or arguing. And shine like stars in this dark world. And all God's people said... Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.